Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Watch Party Gaiman. I am your host, Javon, and I am joined once again by my panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello. hello panel. On today's episode, we have Greg. Hello, there. Say hello, Ruark. Hey, everybody. Madeline. Bonjour. And Axel. Hello. What was that? My dogs. <laughs> Hello, dogs. <laughs> so for today, we are discussing episode five, The Ball. The Ball. Um, our scene opens in hell with Shax doing that weird little bird walk she does down the hallway. <laughs> And she stomps into Furfer's office, which, as we have observed, is stacked up with boxes and papers. And we get a decent look at the hell computer for the first time. It's a little like Brazil meets office space. Yeah. Yeah, I immediately went to Brazil with yeah. that. <laughs> the, it, it actually says in the trivia that the inspiration for the computer is from Brazil. So. Yep, those weird Fresnel lenses and, and the typewriters. So Furfer apparently has moved to inventory because she's asking for demons. I want 10,000 of your worst, nastiest killers. And he kind of laughs in her face. <laughs> I had this like weird misunderstanding. Because in the previous episode, Shaq says something about poor Furfur thought that you were his ticket out of whichever department they were in previously. And I misunderstood and thought that Crowley and Furfur had a relationship before Crowley became an item, as Shaq said, with Aziraphale. But I finally understood re- at some point that that's not what was being said there. But I completely was like, holy and Furfur, it doesn't seem like a good combination. Yeah, I don't see that one. <laughs> I really don't. Interestingly, I was looking up Furfur, and Furfur is a real demon, actually one of the Dukes of Hell, I believe, and I believe can control weather, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Axel gave a, uh, a rundown on on the last episode. Oh. Yeah. Apparently Shax is also a, yes. a real yep. demon as well. Yep. They're both dukes of hell and they both command several legions of hell. So obviously something has changed since the medieval era when these books were written. The defined... I think they just I think they just like whoever is writing these lists down is summoning demons and saying, What are you in charge of? And Furfur's like, Well, <laughs> I <laughs> command <laughs> over here. Well, here's here's what's interesting. Furfur controls can create storms and weather and creates can create love between a man and a woman. Meaning that he's got some of the same things that going on that our other characters have going on right now. Interesting. Making storms so that people go together under yes. awning. <laughs> Interesting. It would, would be within Furfur's purview. <laughs> Richard Curtis is a demon. <laughs> so for the next scene, Xerophil's bustling around with his clipboard. You can go anywhere as long as you've got a clipboard. And his first stop is Arnold's Music Shop. A little homage to the, the composer of the show, David Arnold, I believe. Yes. yes, that's correct. It turns out that the one thing that Mr. Arnold wants more than anything that will actually get him back to a meeting is a very rare proof of the 1965 Doctor Who annual. Now, 
this scene, the back and forth, when he talks about why he doesn't want to go because they talked so much about the Christmas lights the previous time 10 years ago, there's a reaction shot from to, to Crowley. And I have a feeling that the meeting was super annoying because Crowley made it super annoying. He looks real guilty in that scene. And when there is a reference to why the 1965 annual was never printed, there's a reaction shot from Crowley. And I'm pretty sure Crowley is the reason that the 1965 annual was never printed. She's just causing unrest everywhere. I I noticed that due to problems at the BBC, Xerophil turns to Crowley and Crowley just shakes his head a little bit and looks annoyed. He does this sort of back and like, like juts his chin out like don't look at me (laughs) but i'm i'm pretty sure he did both of those (laughs) the question is is did he do it to cause trouble did he do it so that there would only be one copy and azurafel could have it and then he would feel like the specialist boy in the world or is it only that azurafel blames everything that goes wrong on crowley this is your demonic work (laughs) (laughs) i mean I don't know, Axel, I think to your question, a little from column A, a little from column B, yep. I, I think that, I don't think that Crowley is all that good of a um, mastermind, but he'll take whatever comes. He's a shit <laughs> like, disturber. Like, that's yeah, yeah. his contribution to hell is he just stirs up shit and lets the humans run with it. The, the Doctor Who shout outs, that's why I was saying, it's like the fan service here, mm-hmm. it's like getting thick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're having yep. a lot of fun with it. Fans for a different property, but still. David Tennant fans. Oh, well. But, like, the Doctor Who references run throughout this series. Like, there's no escaping it. I feel like the Venn diagram of Doctor Who fans and Good Omen fans is probably very close yes, to a there's circle. A, there's, a, there's a pretty serious overlap. And, and certainly it includes Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Well, sure, <laughs> you know, yeah. He, He's written Doctor yeah. Who. Yes, yes, he has. Yep. Yes, he has. So we have this scene where, where Zerfell gives... Mr. Arnold, the book. Or promises it. And when they're leaving, Crowley is absolutely blown away by this. Like, you see the shock on his face. You gave away a book. <laughs> Who are you and what have you done with Aziraphel? And Aziraphel says, I, I had to. Maggie and Nina are depending on me. It's a means to an end. Seems to me that Aziraphel's kind of lost the plot here. Like, the original Maggie and Nina have to fall in love to prove to the angels the source of the miracle. Right. Has been completely forgotten. And now it's we need Maggie and Nina to fall in love so that Maggie and Nina are happy. Like, he's gotten more invested in that than anything else that's going on. Yep, that seems pretty valid. <laughs> I find kind of interesting that he's lost his pers- kind of his perspective on what the bigger issue is going on here. This is within Aziraphale's wheelhouse, though. I think he kind of always does that. <laughs> I mean, he got much too involved with Adam and Eve. He got awfully involved with... The rearing of the fake Antichrist. He he likes to help people, right? He wants yeah. things to go well. Mm-hmm. Again, like he's an he's an angel who acts like an angel supposed to. So then we pop back to hell, and Shax is trying to get Furfur to give her demons. They might be battling angels, but don't tell anybody that. So what I find interesting about this scene is Beelzebub commanded Shax to lead legions of angels, but she didn't command any angels to follow Shax. So like you saw the scene where the apocalypse is supposed to start, where everybody in hell is getting ready to go up and fight. They have been drafted. They have been told what they have to do. Whereas with Shax's attack on the bookshop, she has to get volunteers 
So like remember last episode, we were talking about whether or not Beelzebub was kind of throwing shacks out as a test case to, to say, yeah, sure, attack the bookshop. Let's see what happens when you do. That kind of validates the idea that Beelzebub doesn't actually think anything's going to come of this. She hasn't even told anybody they have to go with her. Yep. And that kind of shows when we get to seeing the, the demons who decide to uh, follow Shax's uh, grand plan. It's not exactly the cream of the crop. Poor Eric. Poor Eric. <laughs> he's always oh, no. gets dragged into this shit. He gets fed to a hellhound. He gets zapped by Haster. <laughs> I love him. I want to see a horror punk band that's all based on Eric. <laughs> just, just an entire band of Eric's. <laughs> I like that. So back to um, Azurfell and Crowley. Azurfell's on a mission, man. He's just going from shop to shop, and Crowley is just trailing along in his wake. And they go to the magic shop, which I'm assuming is the same magic shop that they were in. It is. 60 years earlier. It's still a magic shop. Run by an entirely different person since, right. you know, the previous uh, owner God is died. brains eaten. Horrible yeah. zombie <laughs> encounter. I feel like this magic shop could have its own 90s series of selling a, a single object every week for a mysterious mm-hmm. episode. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> there was there was a show that had an interesting uh, premise like that. I think it was sort of uh, set, uh, you know, late 1800s Western times, and it was called Dead Man's Gun. And every episode, a new person had this gun and something happened to them, and then the gun got passed on to someone else for the next episode. It was a really cool concept. Interesting. I was thinking, like, I don't know, was it Friday the 13th, where they inherit the magic shop, and then they sell the all the items have Oh, been Friday the 13th, the cursed. series, yeah. So Zerfell offers to lend the magic shop owner one of his books. Crowley's playing with the fez in the background. Another Doctor Who shout-out. More fan service. <laughs> yes. Uh, he speaks Chinese to Mrs. Chang. I think the Chinese sequence was specifically put in so that we could contrast with the French sequence that comes later. Right, yes. <laughs> the implication is that they don't actually really speak all those languages. It's just a trick. It's just a magic trick that they can do a miracle, that they can communicate with anybody in the language that that person speaks. But when he uses French, he's actually using a skill that he learned. So he's not tapping into the magic. He's yeah. it's like it's like a babblefish, but in the throat instead of in the ear, so that you're speaking the language that the person can hear. Right. I mean, they don't say that explicitly, but he says, "I learned it the hard yeah. way yeah. about yeah. French." Yep. So then back to hell, and we see the one seventy fifth of Legion that have volunteered to be a part of Shaq's attack. She made a little stage out of pallets, and the uh, the mic stand's not quite tall enough, so she's going to crouch. <laughs> this had a little bit of a Hunger Games esque feel to me, mm-hmm. you know, of her in her um, in her battle armor, her exquisite battle armor, speaking into this old carbon mic. To the tributes, as it were. Yeah. You know, um, Hell's approach to volunteering seems pretty sensible. We know that Furfur <laughs> can't keep a secret. He's told everybody that they're going to be battling angels, and everybody is like, nope, not me. I'm busy mm-hmm. that week. My boss, uh, I, th- this is like jury duty, right? It's like your boss, my boss says he can't spare me. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, he can't come to the invasion. And I think also it's just like the general principle of don't volunteer for anything when you're in hell. Because like, what possible good outcome can there be for putting yourself into the line of trouble? 
I got the opposite impression, though, from you, Siobhan, that they were kind of excited to be battling angels. Because one person, somebody says, we're not battling angels? Like, oh, just humans? Well, the thing is, though, these are going to be the idiots who did volunteer, right? So quite likely they're ones who who are super gung-ho for some reason, possibly because they didn't get into the fight back in the day. And so they imagine that they could do a good job of it because there are always some idiots like that. So Eric does say, so you can guarantee there will be no angels then because some of those angels are pretty scary. That's true. I mean, maybe I guess there's a mix. But I don't know that they volunteered because when Furfur is looking at the computer, it's like he's looking to see who put in their availability for that day. Not not so much. They don't all have, you know, iPhones so they can just be like, I volunteer for this. I accept this mission. I accept this mission. So I don't know how the, I don't know how Hell's computer system works. But it's probably sign up genius. That's, that seems like another hellish it is, piece of It is software. probably just the people who couldn't get out of it. So like if you have, you know, the option of go cleaning up the dung pits for example <laughs> this is this is a list of the of the the 80 people who were on dung pit duty that day who will probably take this job instead i, I don't know mm-hmm. i'd be curious to know what first process was for picking out the 80 the 80 demons so you have your, you have your casual <laughs> labor class that you know you just send to wherever they are needed on any specific the gig economy day. you know yeah feed the hellhounds you know, <laughs> I mean, it does make me wonder, like, what's going on with the, like, why could Furfur only supply 80? Like, what's happening there? <laughs> we know admissions is up. <laughs> well, admissions, that's different than the demons. Like, at least they had some choice about being there or not. Right. So one thing about that scene that really, really, really stuck in my craw, and this is just a professional thing, mm-hmm. is she was talking into a beautiful classic 30s radio carbon mic. Mm-hmm. But the sound that came out was not the sound from a beautiful classic 30s carbon that's, mic. It's hell. That's how yeah. you know it's right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also thought that we see a, a possible nod to what her animal is, because she's got all of that, like, amazing spinal stuff going on on her, on her armor. Yeah. Like some kind of a, a, a Godzilla horned lizard kind of thing. Oh, mm-hmm. lizard could be. Horny toad. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. I want her armor. I would wear that to the grocery store. <laughs> it, is it is awesome looking. I got Batman vibes. Like, you know, the, the there's one, I think, can't remember if it's like George Clooney or one of those Batmans that had like the, the nipple armor. And yeah. it was like very, very rubbery looking. We, we don't talk about that Batman. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I uh, strike that from the record. <laughs> Um, the other thing I noted about that is, Madeline, you, you recall your theory that Shax is on the spectrum. I really saw that with the, if you interrupt me, I have to start over from the beginning. Yeah, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I thought we saw an interesting new side to Shax, though, here. Like that whole, the one thing I can guarantee you, sunshine, <laughs> that if you interrupt me again, you'll regret it forever. Channeling I, a little bit of Gabriel energy there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shax was probably scary when she was an angel, too. Yeah, I can see that. Well, like, she was in management, right? She was like junior management, but she's been in management in hell, so it makes sense that shouting at people and being angry at them is something she'd be good at. Being on Earth is something where she has no experience, and that's where she gets super, like, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, so like her behavior is going to be different just because, you know, situational. Yeah, it's like she tries to come across as a Karen, but she really doesn't know what she's doing. 
Mm-hmm. Aspirational Karen. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we get back to Azurfil and Crowley, and uh, Azurfil's absolutely appalling French for <laughs> someone who apparently has been learning it since the Bastille. Actually, no, he says he learned it in 1760. So pre-revolution. Yep. Azurfil has a lot of hobbies. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have much to do. Before. He learned French. He took up magic. He's... So even if the person heard him talking French, he's going to sound like some ancient French hick. Ooh. <laughs> if, if, yeah. He's going to sound like he's from Quebec. <laughs> I don't know. I <laughs> I see what you did there. I don't know. I'm I'm taking this a little bit personally. This whole French hick thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Michelle, why would you do that? So then Crowley has this... So they approach uh, Nina, who's like, is this about the Christmas lights? Because I have things to say. (laughs) Opinionated about everything. I just love the the opposite. You know, first there was a guarantee that we would not be talking about the Christmas lights, and now there's a guarantee that we will be talking Mm -hmm. about the Christmas lights. Whatever it takes. Zerifel has no... uh, (laughs) No scruples. No scruples. Nina and Crowley have this conversation where she says, you know, have you been together long? Did you just hook up? Like, everybody reads Crowley and Azurfell as a couple. And Azurfell, when they do it to Azurfell, he tends not to say anything about it. Crowley seems really shaken up by this question. He gets all kind of snarky and growly. And I genuinely don't know why he says no. Because for all intents and purposes... They are a couple. I mean, they always have each other back. They've been spending time together. I just don't think Crowley has ever realized how he actually feels about Aziraphale until this moment. Sometimes people are the last to realize something about their relationships, and I think that's what's going on here. They are ultimately non-sexual beings, so... Unless they make an effort. Yeah, and you know, and, and presumably also non-romantic beings. So I think that this is actually a shock to Crowley's system. Like, he is really shaken up. <laughs> I, I noticed there's almost a look of disgust on his face. Like, he's like, what? Ew. You, you think I have feelings? Ew. Until she impugns Aziraphale's character by suggesting that he is this piece on the side, bit on the side. And wow. Yeah. Yeah, he did not <laughs> like that at all. not happy about that. <laughs> and, and the way he says he's an angel is not just, oh, he's an angel. It's... He's my angel. He's an angel, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. I, I think that Crowley, part of, part of Crowley's response is because he has been living the lie of being a demon for 6,000 years, right? Like, he's had to pretend to be demonic and act demonic. So, and, and admitting to liking somebody is definitely not something you can do in hell. No. Right? Like, angels can admit to liking people because liking is a good emotion. Yeah. Heaven is based in love and... Yeah, hell is well, It suddenly right. occurs to me that this could be a a uh, trans metaphor. Mm-hmm. The angel who doesn't want to admit they're a demon, and the demon who doesn't want to admit they're an angel. Could be interesting. Yeah. They are not cisgendered things, even though most people. I don't. I don't want to say people. They are not cisgendered, even though most fans, I think, assume they are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Crowley has definitely presented as female. In yep. season yeah. one. Yep. Again, these are not sexual beings. These are also not gendered beings in yep. in reality. I think a lot of a lot of people probably assumed that Crowley was in drag. 
in those scenes, but I don't, I mean, I think this is more of a, they can, he, he they was can not have, presented as in drag in those scenes. He was just presented as completely natural. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So I don't, I, I don't think he was in drag myself. I don't either, but I, I don't think that the audience is all entirely clued into that. I've been reading some articles and stuff, some, you know, meta about the show. And this seems to be the general assumption that the vast majority of cis fans don't pick up on any of this stuff. I don't know what that's based on. Like, I don't know if there's any science behind that. But you no, know, it's just from the point of view, I think. I mean, I, I look at this and I, I tend to think of this scene and this episode as a bit of a Jane Austen homage. Yeah, I can see that. There, there's no spying. There's no. There's. The, where's the jewelry heist? Bootlegging. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're not highwaymen. The, the, I, I, don't, I don't. Jane Austen's other career. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, that's right. I keep forgetting she was a writer yeah. too. But it does break out into violence at the end. This is true. Right, so that's kind of the crossover. Yeah, there you go. That's when the zombies show up for Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is Mr. Darcy realizing that he is in love. He actually is in love. So then we play the credits, and I've been watching the credits as we go through each episode to see the next scene in the credits that has all the, the shout-outs, and you can see the elevators that I was trying to figure out what the hell those were. Those are obviously the elevators between heaven and hell and earth. And then we go to... Um, well, we, we have to talk about poor Eric, though. Right before the credits. Eric dies a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Eric gets made an example of yet again. Oh, I loved that they were wearing COVID masks, you know. Yes. <laughs> when they said masks would be supplied to those, I was thinking, you know, masks. And then they show up and they're all wearing their COVID masks. And, you know, as a person who still masks in public, <laughs> I was like, hey. <laughs> I would feel safer walking down that street with all those people right. wearing surgical yeah, masks. The odd horn, sure, whatever. It's, you know. So I, I think what they're trying to imply here is that people who still mask are demonic. Yes. Which. Yep. <laughs> Considering at least two of us here still mask, I, I would say that yes, they're correct. Three, <laughs> Three four, four, five, four. Oh, all right. Ah, nice. So here's a little PSA for our audience: keep wearing masks because COVID is still a thing, and it will still fuck you up. True. Amen. And not only will it fuck you up, it will fuck up people that you don't even know who have less ability to fight it off. Which is the whole reason for the masks in the first place, to protect other people. Team immune compromised represent. <laughs> Insert the more you know music here. <sighs> the more you know. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck uh, editing this one, Greg. It's always like this. It's always. Yeah. This is no different. Yeah, every episode is good luck editing. Yeah. 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 It's no different. Like you said, herding cats, try editing them. Meow. Yeah. Meow. <laughs> so, so the next scene where after the credits, we're back to Soho. Zerofell's stomping around with his clipboard and he sees Crowley sitting at, I think it's the French restaurant again, drinking a bottle of wine. And they have a conversation about Gabriel. Crowley is saying out loud that his problem right now is that they have, uh, you know, an amnesiac archangel in the shop that might be faking it. He's still dangerous. Crowley is drinking because he's upset about his reveal. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the conversation with Nina clearly yeah, he's coming to terms with his own feelings. Mm -hmm. But his is like so focused on the the Nina Maggie thing that he's kind of like dusting off Crowley's objections to Gabriel. Like, even though the real problem is something else, the surface problem is Gabriel in the bookshop. And then Azurfil's just kind of dusting off his concerns and saying, oh, no, everything will be fine. You know, I'm really busy with this, you know, 
romantic subplot. And the meeting that becomes the ball. Why don't you just talk to him? It's a very Emma moment. And I'm like, yes, why don't you just talk to him? (laughs) (laughs) Enormous turn up. Just like, fucking have a honest conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, did you just call Crowley an enormous turn up? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Who does not turn into an enormous inkwell? Not an insult I have heard previous to today, but... Well, he's just... Like, I can dig it. It's, it's so frustrating watching the two of them dance each, around each other. They have never learned to have, like, a straightforward conversation in their entire 6,000-year existence. Well, well, because they've been in England for most of that time. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, they did not grow up in ask culture. They grew up in guest culture. <laughs> well... I was about to say, have you ever read the Bible? There's no direct communication happening there anywhere. No. Yeah, fair. It's not like God's setting a good example, eh? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Everything's ineffable in England. <laughs> <laughs> the very existence of England is the best part of the ineffable plan. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say about that. Um... <laughs> well, of course you don't. It's ineffable. That's true. <laughs> So next we get the very brief scene where Nina's girlfriend, uh, well, assuming girlfriend, doesn't, they never actually define uh, Nina's partner, breaks up with her. By text. And by text. That's a shitty way to break up with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I've been broken up with by text. It sucks. Yeah, tell me about it. I've been broke up by text recently. <laughs> Two things about this. First of all, I love how they handle the text messages, the way the text messages show up in a contextual way, in this case on the chalkboard. Also, nobody acknowledges the zoomed gender of any of their partners in this episode. True. Like, that's like a running thing. Like, all partners are merely partners, and gender is never revealed, as far as I can tell. The ma- the owner of the magic shop's partner. Yeah. Well, he says, yes. I, think, I think he says wife. No, he says spouse. No, he says spouse. Okay. And Aziraphale says, bring them along. There you go. Yeah, it's very nicely handled. Yeah, very inclusive. I think, I mean, obviously it's a deliberate choice, but I mean, I I like that they're doing this. They are really playing with this whole idea of gender as a, you know, as a construct, as we are seeing in our two main characters. Yeah. 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 And and we find out that her partner's name is Lindsay, which doesn't. That doesn't clear anything. Yep. At all. (laughs) Lindsay is friends with Pat, obviously. Yeah, and Chris. <laughs> so you were you were mentioning the part where the messages were showing up on the the blackboard, and then she very deliberately actually erases the messages off the blackboard, like she can actually see them there. And in my mind, that was her finally saying, "Okay, I'm done with you. Yep. It's over. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like I am not even dealing with this. I am just putting this out of my mind and off of my chalkboard. Appropriate. I like it. Yeah." Lindsay is very dramatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The 400 text messages a day. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, very overdramatic, and that's coming from me. I also love that they never appear. Right. All we yeah. know about them is they're texting. They have a sister. Right. And they're going to be with their sister, who actually cares about them. I'm suddenly seeing Lindsay as one of those British people who's, like, very, very, very concerned about exactly where they, they line up in the lineage of, of the royal family or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if these exact 236 people die, I will be the next in line. <laughs> <laughs> 
like Lindsay might be you know related to hyacinth bucket or something. <laughs> like <laughs> Lindsay's probably very concerned about appearances. <laughs> Violet keeping up appearances reference. Wow. <laughs> from from an American no less. Yeah. I hate that show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <so much. laughs> Why that one was chosen to be played on PBS, I will never figure I out. I don't know. Next, we get to the scene where Crowley confronts Jim, a.k.a. Gabriel. I always say it's a good episode if I'm shouting at the television. (laughs) 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 And the whole time where Crowley was saying, Aziraphal wasn't there. I was there. I was going, no, 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 no. Do not say that out loud. What the fuck? You never admit what you guys did. You were like, Mm -hmm. what are you thinking? (laughs) Shouting at him the entire time. (laughs) No, 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 no. No matter how dumb he is now, he may remember at some point. Yes. Well, I think Crowley just figures they're not going to try that trick again. But boy, when he said, I watched you tell my best friend to shut his stupid mouth and die, and I did not care for it. <laughs> that is the scariest I've ever seen David Tennant acting. And, you know, oh, wow. He got his glasses off. You've got this it, very, very good look at the very intense slitted eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, he, he looks like a demon in that. And and I think that the intensity of that may have been spurred on by the fact that earlier he finally had pointed out to him that he and Aziraphale are in a relationship, and suddenly he was like, oh, I have to be protective of my boyfriend now, don't I? Yep. Part of why I liked it was that his words were so measured, and his emotion was so not. Yes. I did not care for it. It's such an English way of saying, uh, I will. I wanted to rip your throat out <laughs> with my teeth. Yes. I say good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Even after all that, he stops him from jumping out the window. Even in his fury and hatred, when he says, go jump out the window and Gabriel goes to do it, you see him kind of like his face kind of go, oh, shit, he's actually going to do it. And then at the very last minute, he calls. It's not going to hurt him. Yeah, it's it's only the second story. It's not going to he's not going to die. He might, you know, twist an ankle or something. Well, it it would it might. uh, It might disclose him. It might kill him. Depends on how he he lands on his head or something. And 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 then he he is not going to control. He is not going to control his fall in any way at all, right? Because he doesn't know that that's the thing you do. So he could break his head. He, he could crack his skull. Could, but the likelihood of dying from a second story fall is, is actually fairly, it's, fairly it's, low. I think he just didn't want to deal with cleanup. <laughs> yeah. What about yeah, the person he, just... he lands on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sean Ham's a big dude. <laughs> and then there's also the, you know, drawing attention. Is heaven gonna, heaven or hell could notice him being outside? Like, there's the consequence, there's just so many consequences. I, I think it was just Crowley kind of going, I don't really want to see this person who is apparently not Gabriel anymore mm-hmm. doing this thing to hurt himself. Going back to Greg's statement, but what about the person he lands on? What about the person his ham lands on? What? Never mind. What about the person is oh his ham. Sorry, I thought you said his hand. Okay. <laughs> you were just a bit faster than us, Roark. You know, like you gotta allow us time Obviously. to catch up sometimes. <laughs> We've been make I've been making jokes about John's ham yes, you have- every single one of these episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know how that one threw flew over your heads, but okay. It sounded like you said hand. Yes, oh. It did. Let me do another take. No. <laughs> 
I think that Crowley, against his better judgment, has some empathy. It has developed some empathy for Gabriel in this scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that Crowley might have a similar experience. We know so little about Crowley's history. When he got picked out of heaven? Yep. We, we know very little about Crowley. You think they, you think they got their memories wiped when uh, they got kicked out? I think they might have. They have that whole conversation where Gabriel, uh, Jim is saying, I feel like an empty house, but I can see where things used to be. And it hurts to remember. And Crowley keeps saying, I know. Do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He acknowledges you're just remembering where the furniture used to be. So you may have something there. This mm. may be something that Crowley has been through and had to. Like, he remembered Aziraphale, but who knows how much work it took to get those memories back. Right. Yeah. It, it makes, makes you wonder in the future if we're going to see more of the relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale in heaven before the war, before the fall. I don't think they had one. We know they met. But well, they met. We know they met, but there's a lot of them. I don't think that Crowley remembers meeting Aziraphale when, uh, back when he was an angel. No, no. He, he we doesn't. don't see any indication. And we don't have any idea who Crowley was before he became Crowley. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a little bit from the uh, cold open of this season. Yeah. Showing the making of the nebula. We know that we know that he was a star maker. There was at least a meeting. Who knows if that went on to become a friendship or something else in heaven before the fall. So that's what I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing possibly season three. And he, with the fall, the memories get erased, like with Gabriel. When he fell or got kicked out or left or whatever... He doesn't have the memory. So that's part of the leaving heaven and not having access to it anymore is the memories go. I'm honestly getting the feeling that there wasn't a whole lot of time in heaven after that first time they met. Because as soon as they were done talking about that, he's like, well, maybe I should go ask God about a suggestion box. And, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> that's going to lead to Crowley no longer being in heaven. So. <laughs> Could be. Can I Could just be. point out that Crowley brings the light. Crowley tempts Adam and Eve in the garden. Crowley tempts Jesus in the garden. Crowley is the light bringer. Mm. Is Crowley Lucifer? Mm. We've met Satan, but we have not met Lucifer. Mm. Yeah, most people assume they're one and the same, but not in in all versions Mm -hmm. of the story. There's also a missing archangel. Raphael. We have not seen Raphael. Um... He's off with the other turtles doing things in New York. Yeah. Lucifer yeah. is supposed to be God's favorite, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've really got the impression. And, and, and the impression that we got was that he was a functionary, that Crawley's a functionary. Like, he huh? isn't particularly up there with God, but... He worked with a design team, <laughs> but that's... Yeah. I agree with that, but he has done several things that are attributed to Lucifer in... Yeah. That's valid. Christian yeah. mythos. Yeah. So I just assumed that 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 you know Lucifer takes credit for everything his demons do. It's like if you did something particularly good, he gets assigned to Satan from now on. That's possible, and he does actually mention Lucifer and the guys. So that's a check mark in the no. He's not Lucifer, Colin. Yeah. I don't know. I doubt that Neil Gaiman intended for him to be Lucifer. Yep. That doesn't mean he is not going to turn out to be. The death of the author and all that. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been Pratchett's idea all along. Thank you. I always forget that Pratchett had to do with this as well. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't. I don't know why I do that. Because I've not really read that much Pratchett, so. Definitely worth doing. Yep. 
It's fun. Yeah, I know. I do like the fact that at the end of this very intense interaction, Crowley says, so do you want hot chocolate? (laughs) (laughs) And Jim brightens up. (laughs) And I think this is really, I mean, we've seen a little bit of of empathy from Crowley in the past, but I think this is like really the biggest, this this is like a Grinch moment for for Crowley. His heart grew three sizes that day. Yeah. 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 He just, well, I mean, he just made Jim's 20 minutes really, really difficult. And then he's kind of like, okay, well. I'll offer you something nice to make up for it. He's also just realized he's in love, so maybe he's like feeling a little expansive. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely conflicted. So next we go to heaven, where Muriel is answering questions, and she repeats Crowley's story about you have to wait a few days because humans are weird. That's just how it works. And Michael says, oh, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get a, Also, we get a really good look at the matchbox. From the Resurrectionist. Yes. And the skull and crossbones on the cover... Bottom half is bone, the top half is match. One is lit and the other is is burnt out. And it's mm. a really cool uh, logo there. I like it. Oh, yeah. I hadn't really looked at it closely. Sounds kind of metal. It does. It does. Yeah. We talked before about the another term for matchstick being Lucifer's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Light bringers. So I had something just strike me out of the blue and i can't believe i didn't notice it before but the overarching part of this season of trying to get maggie and nina together and to realize that they are perfect for each other and they are in love and and blah 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 blah, is just a backdrop for crowley and aziraphale to do the same freaking thing oh exactly oh yeah (laughs) it's just telling the same story in two different stories i i don't know why it took me this long to put that together. which is a little like jane austen's emma yeah very exactly Yeah. yeah Yes, Jane, Jane Austen themes run heavily through this mm-hmm. this season. There hasn't been a single heist yet. What? Where are we? I, <laughs> where are the Jane Austen themes? I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. There was grave well, robbing. There was. There's yeah, no does, piracy. Does, does stealing bodies count as a heist? I don't yeah, know. maybe it's a bit more like Bronte sisters. Is it, what we're yeah. thinking of, and we're just getting it confused. Uh. <laughs> now the Bronte sisters were into train robbery, so yeah. That's, that was oh, their kind of, that was their shtick. <laughs> so what I found interesting about this scene is they have this entire conversation about Azurfell's assistant. Not only do they not recognize Gabriel when they see him, they can't remember him. Did we meet somebody? Was there somebody at the shop? Somebody, something to do with books? No, no. Azurfell's the one who liked books. Oh, right. Yes. They have hidden Gabriel so effectively from everybody else that he just kind of slides off their brains five minutes after talking to him. I've met a few people like that. Who are you people? Exactly. It was like a massive spell. Right. Right. Like the, the, with Se- the setting of 25 the- Lazarus. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like me and the Grateful Dead. <laughs> you can never see the Grateful Dead. I can't remember the Grateful Dead. <laughs> the who? No, that's a different band. No, the band is an entirely different band. Yes. No, yes is an entirely different band. Thank you. That's where I was trying to get you. so Crowley gives uh, Jim his hot chocolate and Jim says you're really nice and he goes no I'm really not no one would believe you anyway he says that every single time people are always telling him he's nice and he's always like no I'm not I'm a demon Mm -hmm. demons don't do nice but he's also a former angel so he goes downstairs and Aziraphale is rearranging the the, not the furniture but the actual walls (laughs) What's cute about this scene, there's been, so I can't remember how long ago season two was announced, 
got to be at least three years. And people have been all up in Neil Gaiman's asks, like, are we going to see... All up in Neil Gaiman's what? Colin Zerifel finally asks. Asks. <laughs> okay. inbox. Oh, all up in the inbox. That's better. Yeah, they've been all up in his <laughs> inbox. <laughs> better than all up in your outbox. <laughs> Asking, are we finally going to see Crowley and Zerfel get together? Are we going to see this? Or is so-and-so going to come back? Are we going to find out about this? And every single person he responds to for the last three years has been wait and see. He has 48,000 wait and see responses publicly posted out there. And so Crowley comes downstairs and asks Zerfel a question. Zerfel says, wait and see. And he goes, wait and see. Do you have any idea how irritating that is? <laughs> <laughs> And I loved it. <laughs> I was definitely fan service. So he sends Crowley to go get Nina and Maggie. And we start to see some of the shopkeepers starting to come into the store. So there's this, the first one to arrive is Mrs. Sandwich. The seamstress. So we had, this, Axel and I were watching um, the very first episode that she appears in. And she has this conversation with Nina where she's buying coffee for her girls and I turned around to Axel and said, I have no idea why I get sex worker vibes off her. <laughs> turns out. Yep. And it turns out that that was entirely intentional. She goes walking. She's a seamstress. So apparently that's from Discworld. Yes. All the sex workers in, were called seamstresses. In, in, in the city of Ankh-Morpork, the Guild of Seamstresses is the Sex Workers Guild. Oh. What happens if you actually are a seamstress? Don't know. You join a different guild. <laughs> you call yourself a sewer. There you go. <laughs> Taylor. Well, you know, in the sewing world, there are a lot of people who do not like the term seamstress. So that, that could be it. It's not actually used by seamstresses because they don't like the word. Yeah, they actually prefer to be called whores for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I, w- I was going to say, there's a lovely little dig when when Azarafel asks her, "What exactly do your girls do?" And her response: "They stand on their own two feet." Like the government said. So it's a nice little uh, nice little dig at the Tories there. Yep. <laughs> it took me the second rewatch to realize that people's clothing was changing as they walk in through the door. Oh. You see Mrs. Yeah. Sandwich comes in in like a, a hoodie and yoga pants. And then as soon as she walks through the door, she's in this like very shimmery outfit with a, a little feather in her hair. I didn't notice that at all. And they really set it up, too. And I didn't notice it. Yeah, and some of them are more dramatic. Like, yeah, when Nina walks in, the, the entire color of her costume changes. Mrs. Mrs. Sandwich, it's the style of it changes dramatically. Um, yeah. But the coloring, I think, is fairly similar. With Maggie, it's like her shirt changes to something a little more satin or something. Yeah, it's, it's all that much. It's all more appropriate for a formal event. Goes from street clothes style. to fancy clothes. Yeah. yeah. Because, again, Aziraphale wants this to be a thing. Mm-hmm. So Curly goes to collect Nina, and she's like, yeah, I'm not going. I just had a breakup, and I'm going to go home and cry it off, get drunk. So remember we had that big, long discussion about the name of her coffee shop? Yes. She actually tells Crowley, this is, this is, everything else was taken. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Which, I mean, is ridiculous because there's always somebody who comes up with that one name that you're just like, why didn't I think of that? Yes. <laughs> It's like how many how many outposts of the curl up and die salon are there? <laughs> yeah. Who is it that found that love will tear us apart? Divorce lawyers. 
<laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, that that kind of means it's it's all the ones that she could think of were taken. Yeah. You know, which is all the ones. Right. Because obviously she's going to think of all of the possible options. May also be pointing out the number, the ridiculous number of coffee shops that there are in London these days or something. I don't know. Not are there a ridiculous number of coffee shops in London? There are ridiculous numbers, number of coffee shops everywhere. Yeah, but England, tea. Coffee is huge, especially espresso. And especially in London. Oh. Got to give the tourists something. Sure. So at some point during this conversation, Crowley figures out that something is going on. And they have that very weird conversation about something is wrong. Well, lots of things are wrong, but it's coming in waves. And Nina's like, you are so weird. <laughs> and he yells at her. And he's like, genuinely frightening. And so she runs mm-hmm. away from him and into the bookshop. And uh, she is greeted by all the other members of the Wickbur Street traders and business association now, members all done up in their Jane Austen finery. She does seem to notice that her uh, her outfit changed. Uh, yeah, she, she looks, looks down, down at herself. I'm, I'm going mad. I didn't notice. I, I only noticed it when I just watched this. So She looks around the room. You can see her eyes kind of flicking back and forth. And then she looks down at herself and then she's like, what the hell is going on here? Indicating that she is more aware of her surroundings and than, may- than maybe most of the other people there. Maybe it's because she is so angsty right now, mm-hmm. with good reason, yep. that everybody else was kind of on an even keel, and so this has brought them up to, like, really happy. She was so angry that this has really brought her up to some kind of a normal baseline. She's a really angry person in general, yep. which I really like about her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so this has brought her up so that she's not so, like, happy that she doesn't see this stuff. But it's a great character change from the first season. Does anyone else find the whole ball very kind of like, almost like fae mythology, where everything's different, but you're not really aware of it? Yeah. 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 It's, I can it see that, yeah. It controls how you're, you're behaving. It controls how you're dressed. The language you use changes. It's very otherworldly. Yes. Speaking of how you're dressed, we have to talk about John Hamm's waiter outfit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I have a theory in my head, which goes like this. Aziraphale was a huge fan of Liberace. Mm-hmm. also in his shop has some very rare items, such as a Doctor Who annual that never actually existed. Mm-hmm. So when Liberace's stuff was all sold off, I'm guessing that uh, Aziraphale ended up with some of uh, Liberace's ide- items, and that was actually Liberace's tux and and, and oh, okay. big, flowy, capey, whatever that was right. with the fur and the rhinestones and everything. Like, yeah. You may be onto something there. Th- that was absolutely Liberace's, and, and Aziraphale somehow acquired it because he was such a Liberace fan. That's my headcanon, and I'm sticking to it. I like it. like it. I'll buy that. This takes me to... A thing that I was thinking all week, which was, I really want to see Neil Gaiman's at, uh, uh, Uber Berlin, uh, Wings of Desire, mm-hmm. except it's uh, Aziraphale and Crowley sort of walking around post-war uh, Germany, watching people, except that, of course, Crowley is cracking wise the whole time. And if you haven't seen the movie Wings of Desire by Vim Vendors, it's... Amazing. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Go watch it. Better than the American version. Oh, so much. <laughs> oh my I've God. never even seen the American version, so I don't know. 
it made me wonder who are the real who are the angels who came to Earth in Good Omens, mm. the ones that became human or became human like. Besides Ezra Fell and Crowley, mm. like you know, Liberace could have been one, for example. Oh, <laughs> oh I like that. <laughs> I realize I'm crossing the streams really badly, but I just can't keep, I cannot get the sort of idea of a black and white Azarafel and Crowley walking around Berlin yeah. out of my head. And somehow you managed to tie in Vim Vendors and Liberace. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> this message goes out to one Mr. Neil Gaiman. Who, if you're listening to this, that idea is absolutely free for you to use. You should absolutely do the Vim Vendors version of Crowley and Aziraphale in Wings of Desire. Bonus points for Nick Cave and the bad seeds in it. <laughs> <laughs> All you'd have to do is have Crowley and Aziraphale backstage at a Nick Cave concert, and you've got it, like, in two seconds. It's, it's <laughs> very short film. Yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> You, you can have that one free of charge, Mr. Gaiman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Crowley gets in between the demons and Maggie and starts yelling at them. It looks like they've actually fixed the subtitles because I think my absolute favorite bad caption is in this scene where he says, Junior bottom of the barrel demons, almost the damp. <laughs> I mean, I noticed that Neil Gaiman said, made a post this week saying that they're fixing the bad subtitles. Okay. That oh, they're okay. aware of the bad subtitles and that they're fixing them. Yeah. So they, they, it looks like the one I'm looking, the scene I'm looking at today says practically the damned. But I just yes. thought practically the damp was so, so wonderful. I kind of wish they just and, kept that one. <laughs> and I feel like they missed out on a great joke in this scene. By not having one of the zombies played by a Captain Sensible. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the damned. <laughs> what? Practically one of the damned. <laughs> no angels. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at a shot of, of, like, you know, Crowley with the camera over uh, his shoulder looking down on all the demons. And this really is a shot from every punk club I went to in... <laughs> Oh, yeah. like, there's a guy there with a mo well, there is a guy who looks like a trollic, but other than that <laughs> it's all people in like leather with spiked hair in a and, circle you know. right about to start a start a pit. I got the feeling in in this scene and all the scenes with the demons around the the shop that we were again seeing it from the mystical figures point of view the angels and the demons not from the humans point of view i get the feeling the humans didn't actually see a lot of that Could yeah be. that's entirely mm -hmm. possible because i cannot imagine her walking down the street being followed by this group of punks and just being completely mm -hmm. unaware of it that was well, being aware unaware of your surroundings is very much a theme for the, this street like for people walking around london Maybe it's just that Zerfel's been living here for so long that so much weird shit happens, mm -hmm. people just kind of roll with it. They're like, oh yeah, it's that fucking cryptid on, you know. So one of the things I noticed in the, the last episode on a rewatch, that when the three zombies are lurching through the street to go to the magic shop, they walk right past a policeman who is walking to, who walks straight towards them and practically brushes shoulders with them mm -hmm. and doesn't react at all. Well, they did kind of look like they'd just been through a bombing, which they technically had. They'd just been through a bombing, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure there was blood all over them, and, like, it, it just seemed a bit, like... 
and like even like a bit much. Not necessarily like completely outrageous, but like I think there's been a consistent pattern of people are less aware of their surroundings than I would expect. Allowing for how unaware of their surroundings most people in London are most of the time. Yeah, uh, I can see that. So Crowley runs inside the bookshop. Inside the bookshop, we cut to the scene where Mrs. Sandwich and Mrs. Chang are having a discussion about what she does for a living, and she cannot say the word seamstress. It's a very good place kind of thing, where certain words you can't say, what the yes. fork is going on. That's a bunch of bullsock. Why can't yes. I say shirt? <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah, a long description about trying to express what a seamstress right. is. I think and, Chen and, gets it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. Oh yeah, Chen's on top of Absolutely does, yes. Yes. And yeah, the two and the two of them have the realization that they can't say the words that they're thinking. It it also hit it also hits swear words right. and such. Yeah, very good place, very angelic. And also their way of talking is just that little bit formal. Yeah, more formal, um hit historical. Like going back Jane to Austen. a Jane Austen start yeah, like Jane Austen kind of language, right? So again, fit, fitting what Crowl like Crowley's imposing his view of what of how romance works well, on, on the world. Aziraphale, sorry. Yeah, yes. uh, you can t- kind of tell when uh, Mrs. Cheng starts to get it because she starts uh, stroking her fan. Stroking her in fan. A, uh, yeah. Yes. That shows Very that she kind of gets it. And she's kind of okay with the idea. I mean, it's fun, right? There's no downside. It's a bit weird, but it's not right. harmful. So Maggie asks Nina to dance, and we get more into that whole... People are kind of aware of what's going on, but not really, because Nina keeps asking Maggie questions. This is meant to be the Shopkeepers Association monthly meeting. And Maggie goes, mm-hmm. oh, well, when you put it like that, yeah, it is a little odd. But this is just something we do. It's fun. Almost an awareness that what they're doing isn't normal, but still kind of going with mm-hmm. it because they're enjoying it. And everybody knows the steps. Yeah, and this is more and more of this kind of like you're in a... You've, you've stepped through a fairy circle or something. Yeah. So we have this little scene where Jim is interacting with some of the shopkeepers. The man who runs the magic shop is identified as Mutt, and his partner is just listed as Mutt's spouse. I looked up the actor who plays Mutt's spouse. They are a non-binary comedian mm-hmm. playing mm-hmm. a non-binary character, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. I, I, for one, definitely appreciated the representation there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Crowley's darting around the shop like a ping pong ball at one point. Azurafal hands him a tray and he just tosses it in the corner. Crowley just throws things. Like we saw the scene where Azurafal was away in Bentley and Crowley would just like walk around with a stack of books and he'd look around. There's no place to put it. So he'll just throw it. (laughs) Let gravity take care of it. I don't want this in my hand. Off you go. And I I love how Jim calls the hors d'oeuvres tiny little meals. There's a great little deleted scene where he offers one to the uh, the French restaurant owner, and she asks if any of them have nuts because she has a nut allergy. So he's like, let's find out, and starts eating a few of them, and then says, what the nuts taste like? <laughs> <laughs> just, he just, just stares at him. Crowley's still trying to get through to Aziraphale. There's demons outside. Something is wrong. We have to deal with it. And Aziraphale is like having such a good time. He's like... You can tell me about it while we dance. <laughs> Crowley gives him this like deer in headlights look and goes, you don't dance. But 
we know that he does dance mm-hmm. but he, because he was in the dance group. Mm-hmm. He learned that when he and Crowley weren't talking. So he hasn't told Crowley that he learned the gavotte. Oh. And apparently okay. he also knows the steps to this dance. So he drags Crowley out into the dance floor and he gets to dance with this Crowley and he's so happy. At least he knows the apology dance. Yeah. There's that. We know he did that dance. And that might be another reason why Crowley looks so terrified at the idea of dancing, because the only dance that he can think of is the apology dance. (laughs) Yeah. John Hamm in this scene, though, I just cannot, you know, still try to figure out what this body can do. and. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the thing with his cheeks. He's just kind of staring at him, fascinated. So Crowley keeps saying, We're in danger. Aziraphale keeps not listening to him. I think you're, you know, exaggerating how much danger we're in. And then one of the demons chucks a slab of something through the window. We get Chacks threatening through the window. And I'm sure Marilyn Manson is standing just behind her. Right <laughs> And we do get an explanation during the dance of why demons are not able to get in, where he says, you know, technically this is still an embassy of heaven. So we got that answer. It's not nothing to do with not being invited in. It's there's some sort of mystical barrier. That doesn't apply to Crowley. Well, yeah, he may have been invited in and it, it definitely doesn't stop misspelled chunks of concrete from entering the building. Mm-hmm. Well, the concrete is human. It's part of Earth. It's not. True. Mystical, yeah. so it's not going to get stopped by the mystical barrier. Right. But still can't spell. No. How of twos? Yes. So you get the standoff between Aziraphale and Shax, where Aziraphale is saying, this is still an embassy of heaven. And there's a really quick shot to Nina listening, because she is the one who's the most aware of everybody in the room of what's actually going on. You see that it registers this, I have a legion of demons by my side. And he's like, this is an embassy of heaven. You have no authority here. It's a really bizarre conversation, having a bookshop. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially in the middle of a Jane Austen ball. Where everybody was speaking in character. Mm -hmm. And your your clothes changed when you walked through the door. This is like the weirdest day she's ever had. Yep. What's so special about Nina that she can see through this? I mean, other than being grumpy. She was already kind of off kilter to begin with. Because she's the one who's been like, why are we dancing? This is supposed to be a meeting, blah, blah, blah. I think it was all just because she's so off kilter from from the whole breakup taking place, which, you know, that's a life changing event that's going to send you just completely into a different state of mind. I like the theory you came up with earlier that because she was so angry and upset that whatever influence Aziraphale's ball is having on her is just bringing her up to normal. But she and Maggie also were the only people who noticed Crowley smoking in the street and noticed mm-hmm. people are walking right past and don't notice. Nina and Maggie do. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because they used to be nuns of the Chattering Order and they don't remember it, but they're... <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this is something that will be revealed next episode. Or... Yeah, maybe there's mm. something unusual it, about it, them. It's just that they're... And it could just be there is something unusual about them. They notice these things a bit more because they're descended from witches way back when or something. You know, they have a little bit of of, of, of some kind of supernatural connection that's stronger than most people. And the fact that they happen to have stores right across from Aziraphale, they just happen to be right place, right time. So they're descendants of Agnes Nutter. I mean, Agnes Nutter's going to have lots of that's descendants, true. so... You know, like maybe. So, like, I was making a joke earlier about how Aziraphale is the resident cryptid of Soho, and people are just used to weird shit happening around him. And maybe Nina's new to the neighborhood, so she notices it 
And she's specifically mm-hmm. pointing it out to Maggie. And Maggie's the one. And Maggie's kind of going, oh, yeah, you're right. That is kind of odd. She's grown up around it her entire life. But if somebody doesn't actually put it in front of your face, you don't think about it. Because Soho's yep. always like this. It's always weird. It's just your normal. He's been there for hundreds of years. Keep Soho weird. <laughs> so then you get the sequence where Gabriel says, oh, they're looking for me. Well, I'll just go outside. And he puts on this big, fluffy coat. <laughs> Walks out the door. Giving more credence to the Liberace theory. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it looks like it could like that could have been his wings. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was, yeah, that was the like impression that. that that was clearly trying to be given. But I still like my idea that it's Liberace's. Yeah, yeah, and and I like oh, yeah. I like Greg's follow up on that that Liberace was in fact an angel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that he put it on. It appeared when he walked through the door because the doors are doing stuff yes. to people's clothes. Right. So it just gets yes. fancier and fancier every time you walk through that door. It doesn't matter which direction you're going. Or the door just gives gives you what it believes to be the appropriate mm-hmm. clothing in this case. The bookshop has ideas of its own. Yeah. <laughs> if you're about to have a street fight with demons, let's go full Liberace. Let's dress you appropriately. <laughs> mm-hmm. In Liberace's jacket. Because, you know, all those street fights that Liberace was known for. <laughs> So Shax chases him back inside. So she doesn't hurt him. As much as they're threatening to hurt the humans, they don't try and hurt Jim. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. he, he, she, you know, Shax is, does not recognize him. That still holds. You know, I don't know what you're doing, but you're in my way. Walks right past him. He's harmless. I, I think it's not just that he's harmless. I think it's because the ignore me spell is so strong oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. she doesn't even realize, oh, I could kill this guy right. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And Crowley actually says, we did a miracle so that no one would recognize him, and now nobody recognizes him. Good job, us. <laughs> yep. Which, the thing is, is I, it kind of like leads to the, you can come into the shop and look everywhere you want under all the things, you know, and if you, he isn't here, you're imagining it. How about we get some angels down who can have a look too? I think they wouldn't want to invite Shax in because I don't know if they can uninvite her. Yep. Right. Like, if you invite her in, does that mean she has free access to the bookshop anytime she wants? You don't want that. Yeah. I love that she has to have a conversation with Crowley about his mail during all of this. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I loved, like, Crowley makes up this, you know, subsection paragraph rule that you have to allow evacuation of non-demon angel humans. And when he was spouting this off, I was looking at him going... Where did you come up with this? This is a Xerophil's gig. You're not the rule follower. And then he turns around and goes, okay, I just made that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that very sense. much is... is uh... And I love the fact that the other demons are like, yeah, that sounds de- demonic enough. Sure, I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm yeah. not going to question it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nobody reads the manual in hell. Mr. Brown very trustingly goes out to try and sort things out and gets dragged out of the door. So this is like in contrast to the whole gym thing. They could have hurt Jim. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They can hurt Mr. Brown, so they do. Yep. Crowley convinces Shax to let him escort the humans out. So he gets all the humans to pair up and walks them out the front door. Xerophil tries to hypnotize Maggie. Like he's throwing suggestions out there. Just do what he says. Follow his instructions. And Maggie goes, are you trying to hypnotize me? <laughs> Is that what you're doing? Again. Mm-hmm. 
Which again, I was not. I, I didn't bring it up earlier, but it's not just Nina. It's yeah. also Maggie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe she's you know, being immunized against stuff by Nina's skepticism. I don't know, but yeah, maybe they're ripping off on each other. It may be because like something about them is why they became relevant to the plot in the first place. Like why Aziraphale noticed her particularly. She also maybe has a d- unique relationship with Aziraphale because she's because he stole from her. She, she grew up in a record store that was basically an annex to his bookshop. She's been around mm-hmm. him her whole life. Mm-hmm. Or it could just be plot armor. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have many questions at this point in the season. <laughs> <laughs> just the kind of thing that you want when there's going to be a third season. Right. Maggie says, I am staying. I'm not leaving him here to deal with this by himself. Crowley yells at Nina, are you coming? And Nina says, no. And Crowley goes, oh, dying bravely. Good for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> Crowley has no reservations about how this is going to go. <laughs> There's a scene where everybody's kind of assembling in, you know, teaming up in their twos where you just see Mr. Um, Arnold turn around and run away from the line and then run back. And he's got the annual mm-hmm. <laughs> clutched against mm-hmm. his chest. <laughs> he's not leaving that book behind. Nope. He is a true Doctor Who fan. I had to bring my harpsichord. I'm yep. bringing back the book. I love the, the, the little line between Crowley and um, Mrs. Sandwich, where he says, have you got your hat pin? And she says, oh, I've got more than that love. And he goes, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> he likes her. <laughs> yep. They, we go through that scene where, where Shax tries to give him his mail. Yeah. <laughs> that Madeline mentioned, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, again, I think that Shax's um, neurodiversity is that she doesn't really know that this is probably not the best time to be bringing up <laughs> she the mail. Doesn't understand the rules. <laughs> if you're trying to kill somebody, <laughs> don't give them their mail. Yeah. <laughs> they will. But it's annoying her because it's stacking up by the door. Yes. So please take it off my hands. And if he's dead, he's not going to be able to take away the mail. Crowley gets everybody out and says, okay, I call this meeting adjourned. Y'all should probably go hide in your shops and just, you know, pretend none of this happened. Mrs. Sandwich leans over and goes, you're a good lad. And he says, I'm not actually either, which I thought was a a lovely um, Uhura Mm -hmm. (laughs) line. (laughs) Sorry, neither. (laughs) (laughs) But then he thanks her. Yeah, he does thank her. This is this is why I say he likes Mrs. Sandwich because everybody else he goes, No, I don't nobody would believe you, but with her mm. he goes, Thank you. And a genuine smile. <laughs> There's a genuine yep. smile in Mrs. Sandwich. Zerfell starts running around prepping the shop for his big defense against the demons. And there's a line that I that's definitely fan service where he's saying something about, Oh, Crowley will have a plan and he goes, Why don't you stand in your own two feet? Make your own plan. And he goes, Oh well I am, but rescuing me always makes him so happy. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people have theorized that that whole Bastille thing was done intentionally to get Crowley's attention. <laughs> oh, I, I, I assumed entirely, yeah. Especially given that he like he's like, oh, well, I can't get out by myself because I'm not allowed to do miracles anymore. And then he miracles his clothes. <laughs> Crowley sees Muriel, and you can just see the light bulb go off over his head. And he's like, runs over to her. You have to arrest me. You have to arrest me and take me back to heaven as your prisoner. There's his plan. There's his plan. We see the elevator open in the dirty donkey, whatever the bar is called. And she has that one moment where she's like, are you trying to trick me? And he's like, you're arresting me. Why would I trick you? One of the ways that he gets away with this shit is he just does it so fast. Crowley's 
probably not great with long-term plans, but he's a very quick thinker. He thinks on his feet. He confuses people. And so they end up just kind of buying what he's selling and going along with it. It's a little Groucho mm-hmm. Marx. Yeah. Also also kind of uh, Doctor Who, like the way he played the Doctor. Mm. Yeah, I can see that parallel. And we end on a cliffhanger. Shop is under attack. Our heroes are headed in separate directions. And that concludes the Wickbar Street shop street traders and shopkeepers monthly meeting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> say that five times fast. I don't think I could say it once. So thoughts about this episode? It seemed a departure in filmmaking style. I don't know, some of the some of the scenes with like Crowley looking out the window and uh, it was a it was a much darker scene, episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it and it was also I don't know. It wasn't my favorite episode for for stylistic reasons. It was a lot more self-contained than a lot of the other episodes, too. We didn't didn't get so much jumping around to different storylines. It was very much focused on the one storyline. Yeah. There was a little bit with the discussion in heaven, but that was was about it. Everything else took place on on Whipper Street. I I did really appreciate the very uh, gender non-conforming-ness of the episode. Yep. Oh in, yeah, in yes. so many ways, um, up to and including David Tennant's statement, "Thank you, I'm neither, but thank you." When she says you're you're a nice man or a nice boy or whatever it was she said, good lad, mm-hmm. yeah, nice lad, thank you. I don't I don't speak British, so I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. All of that just just was it felt amazing to me, and and I loved seeing that level of representation happening in in this show. I get the feeling that probably came from everybody on the show because we've seen David Tennant wearing t-shirts out in public that say leave trans kids alone you fuckwads or whatever yep. something yeah. along those lines yep I found the whole ball a very you know almost like fairy enchantment thing I find that very out of character for how much of season one especially was about agency and this is a very controlling thing for Xerophil to do, to put people in these situations where they can't even use their own words. You know, he changed their clothes. He's trying to do good, but he's doing it much more in the way that the angels in heaven do it, by ordering people around, rather mm-hmm. than letting them have their own choices. And I just found that very out of character. I found the interactions between Xerophil and Crowley very out of character. They're not talking to each other. They're not listening to each other. And I said before in some of the historical sequences that it felt like Azerfell's character development had changed somewhat from season one. So I'm kind of curious if this is intentional, if this is going somewhere. I would assume that that is intentional. Absolutely. Playing against characters so hard has got to be a, a setup for something. Yeah. Has, has, got to, has got to have meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- there's something also to be said about the fact that he's playing it the way they do in heaven, and when he does, hundred demons show up outside the shop. Yeah, yeah. He's been he's been playing it his own way the whole time, and you know, the only demon that ever shows up is Crowley. He plays it heaven's way, and all of a sudden, a bunch of demons show up. He's got mm-hmm. he's got seventy demons smashing through yeah. his window. Yeah, a whole seventy fifth of a legion. So we'll see. As soon as we're done here, I'm going to run off and watch episode six. <laughs> Hopefully get some answers to some of these questions. Yeah. The stylistic things were not so much to move the plot along uh, as much as it was to have that sort of Jane Austen homage. There's a, there's a real Emma vibe to everything that, uh, that Aziraphale is doing. 
where I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this. And he's just like, he's just gotten caught up, caught up in the, in the romance of it. And, uh, he's living out a literary fantasy. Yeah. You know, that's could be an explanation for the behavior. I wonder if it's uh, a rebound for him in that when he was working for heaven, he was very controlled in what he was allowed to do. Like he got reprimanded if he used too many miracles and now mm-hmm. he's got the opportunity to be fully involved in humanity. And maybe he's getting a little carried away. Mm. I think that, that that fits. He's doing what he think what he wants to do. And so he's going, yeah, he goes over the board and that causes problems. And, and he hasn't yet got the experience to realize that maybe sometimes you just let people do their own, make their own mistakes. Yeah, right. I believe we've got an episode. So, Greg, do you want to take us out? Sure. First of all, we'd like to thank Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island Headquarters. Thank Thank you, Michael Michael and Jen. 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 They are home to our podcast. Also, our other podcast, Watch Party Wheel of Time, along with Watch Party Lord of the Rings and a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. Subscribe to them, rate them, review them. Let's get us out there. If you want to get in touch with us, we will read your mail on the air if we get mail. Hint, hint. Let us know at GameAndWatchParty at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at GameAndWatchParty. We're now live on Discord, and we should have that link for you in the show notes. So, it's time for our final question. If you are a member of the Wickber Street Traders and Shopkeepers Association, what is your business? And what do you want to talk about at the monthly meeting? I've always dreamed of a business where a bar slash culinary concept of uh, gravy shots. <laughs> Wild turkey with turkey gravy, uh, creme de meth with creme gravy, that sort of thing. Yeah, I have no idea what I'd call it other than gravy shots. But, uh, of course, at the meeting, I would like to bring up having outside hydrants so we could hose off the front of my store. <laughs> <laughs> So my business is that I sell insects and arachnids as pets. So it's a pet store for very tiny pets. And I would like to talk about all of this rampant spraying for insects on the street (laughs) because we're killing my stock. (laughs) What's the name of your store? I don't know. (laughs) I think you should call it arachnophobe. (laughs) I like it. So I've talked before about if I ever started a business, it would be a business selling donuts and tacos Mm -hmm. because every culture has a donut, some kind of fried dough, and every culture has a taco, some kind of flat bread with stuff in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a a shop on Whipper Street called I Donut Want to Talk About It. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, son of a bitch. That's good. And at the meeting, what I want to talk about is the fact that my shop is being overrun by all these friggin' insects from everywhere. <laughs> and that we need to spray the street for more insects. <laughs> unless I am serving a cricket taco, I do not want insects in my restaurant. Thank you. There you go. Those aren't insects. They're spiders. And they're doing you good. They're in there. <laughs> <laughs> You're providing the pest control. You're not the need for pest control. Uh, I think I'd want to have a, like, second-hand stuff store, and I have no idea for a name of it. 
but eclectic mix of things. And I guess an important thing to bring up at the, the traders meeting for me is that in order for me to be able to get secondhand stuff to sell, you guys in other shops need to sell things in the first place, which you're clearly not doing enough of. I've seen the magic shop and it still has pretty much the same stock that it did in World War II. <laughs> sell the stuff so people can sell it to me so I can resell it to other people. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I can't sell my stuff because my stuff is getting killed, but my shop is called All Creatures Creeping and Small. Nice. Which is a James Harriet yes. reference. <laughs> yeah. And a, and Genesis at the same there time. Nice. The book, Genesis the book, not Genesis the band. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm absolutely shocked that nobody has already taken my answer. I want to open the local punk club and live music there you go. venue. And I go to the meeting and talk about you people opening your businesses maybe a little later in the day because all the noise you're making first thing in the morning <laughs> <laughs> really not working for me. <laughs> well, I'll, I will come to your club, definitely. The reason I didn't say that is I've worked in enough of those places that I don't ever want to open that as my own business. <laughs> <laughs> Especially not to live above it. Ooh, yeah. Oh, hell no. Can you Especially imagine with the, all smell? the spiders? Oh, <laughs> the smell of living above a punk club. Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs>